you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Oh, I am the Walmart. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, Tom. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. <laughs> Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale of moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? The price is wrong, bitch. You're a great mom. I don't know. I'm fine with Trevor. But with Phoebe, she really keeps me on the outside. That's normal. She's an awkward, nerdy kid. Maybe a new home can be an opportunity to start fresh. I just wish she'd get into some trouble. There's still time. What are you doing here in Somerville, anyway? We're completely broke. And our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Your father wasn't much of a homemaker. He could hardly keep the power on. You're saying he left us nothing? Well, I wouldn't say nothing. You went with the station wagon? It's the only one that had an engine. What is happening here? Somehow, a town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Maybe it's the apocalypse. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Oh, my God. You guys hear that? Something's coming. The whole city took the walking dead. Phoebe! 
Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week, uh, if you haven't figured it out, and if you weren't listening to our live stream on Saturday, we are covering Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, Pat would have liked to have joined us, uh, but it was not uh, workable in his schedule. But the one person who is on here, although he is not on camera, he's audio only this week, uh, is the person who uh, has been telling me since day one he wanted to be on this podcast uh, to talk about Ghostbusters, and that's my my brother Matt. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I I knew how much we uh, watched these as a kid, as kids growing up together, and and I was like, hey, you have to have me on here. Yeah, you were you were pretty much the the Johnny this week. Uh, Johnny was like that with Dune. He he was like, um, I'm on your Dune episode, just so you know. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this is this is two ones where where the uh, the second one where a guest uh, has definitely invited himself, but always someone who's welcome on the podcast, especially to talk about uh, about Ghostbusters. So. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do this kind of like how we did our Dune review. Um, we're going to structure some things out, so we're gonna be talking about different aspects and then uh, wrap it up with our overall thoughts. And uh, we're gonna try to keep it spoiler free, uh, but we will, if we feel like we're verging in the territory of spoilers, we will give you fair warning, especially since the the movie just came out. Um, also, just uh, to be sure to like, uh, share, and subscribe to the podcast, leave us a comment below. If you got to go out and see it this weekend, just try to leave your comments as spoiler-free as possible. Um, so with that out of the way, we're going to we're gonna talk about the legacy first, legacy of Ghostbusters and, uh, you know, the, the impact it's had on popular culture. Um, the, then we're going to follow it up about, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the 2016 reboot. Um, and what, what went wrong there? Why, why did we go back with, uh, you know, the, the iconic characters or the iconic world from the originals? What went wrong with that, with that reboot? And then, uh, we're going to talk about the casting, what we thought of the cast, how they did, uh, and everything else. And then we are going to, uh, talk about the technical aspects and briefly just like what, how, how it felt, uh, seeing it in the theaters, uh, you know, what we thought of the CGI, stuff like that. And uh, we're also then going to move on to talk about the story, which, again, we'll keep spoiler free. And then we'll give our overall and final uh, thoughts. Now, just as a quick note, of course, people here that are watching on YouTube are going to see me move a little bit because of the way that I'm looking on here. So I'm flipping myself to the other side of the screen. So, uh, all right. So you were you were kind of saying it there a little bit beforehand, Matt. Um you know, this was a movie we watched as kids all the time, still continue on. We even went to, uh, what was it, the 30th anniversary uh, screening when it went back to theaters, uh, something like that. Um, I know yeah, I've yeah, got uh, I've got it on 4K, um, Blu-ray and everything, and on digital. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been, and I've got the, the real Ghostbusters cartoon show on DVD. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty big in our lives uh, growing up together. Yeah, I even had to, when it got time to show uh, my son Robert uh, um, Ghostbusters, he actually has a play mobile of the uh, Ghostbusters house, which you and I used to have a Ghostbuster house toy and everything. And uh, what was really neat was the this new one that came out. It was originally supposed to come out, obviously, uh, on his fifth birthday. And uh, so... 16 months after his birthday fifth birthday we finally got to taste it uh seeing it but uh to go back to 
the 84 Ghostbusters. I mean, it was a movie I I never got sick of, of watching. I watch it all all the time. I mean, I've, I've probably watched it, oh, probably about five or six times here before seeing the new one again here. Because I just, it was, it's a classic to me. I mean, it, it stands the test of time. And a lot of that is due to the practical effects uh, that you've alluded to and and the fact that it felt real uh, without having being overly computerized. Um, and it's the first horror film that pretty much any kid growing up in the 90s uh, got to experience as like their first uh, horror film. It, it's got enough scare to it, but not to where it's going to haunt you for the rest of your life kind of thing. And uh, just absolutely loved it and glad um, I've had the ability to share it with my son, too. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely um, uh, one of those films that caught lightning in a bottle. Um, I mean, I don't think that they were even able to necessarily, although... Uh, I know I'm I'm probably of the of a controversial opinion to to kind of enjoy Ghostbusters two a little bit more than Ghostbusters one. Um, they still didn't manage to even completely recapture what worked with the first Ghostbusters in their sequel, um, and even to some extent the video game that they did in uh, in the two thousands, where it was kind of like our third Ghostbuster film that we wanted all these years. Uh, but with everyone, you know, getting older and stuff like that, they, they went to the game, uh, the video game format and, uh, and it worked really well as a, as a sequel to the story. Um, now whether or not it's going to be canonized into this new franchise or this, uh, kind of refresh of the franchise, no one knows. And same with Ghostbusters too, as I, uh, alluded on our live stream on Saturday, um, Outside of Ray's Occult, like that's about the only reference to Ghostbusters 2. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they won't come back and reference Vigo or anything later on in um, hopefully potential sequels, but uh, it, it definitely has this lasting impact uh, on popular culture, and it, it, there's a reason why the 2016 reboot was not really well received, and that is because of the legacy because of, of the writing, because of the cast, uh, I, I, I don't even know if, you know, they had gotten John Candy in there for Rick Moranis's role and if they had gotten Eddie Murphy for, um, for um, uh, Winston and everything, if that would have even, if it would have worked then, you know, because we, we're, we're dealing with what we see now and only just with the illusions of what, what could have happened. Um, but it... it there's something that's so special about that movie and it's just enjoyable. Like you said, you could watch it so many times in a row and just find yourself laughing and enjoying uh, any aspect about the film. Uh, so I, I think that's where our generation and, and uh, even older generations are. So they might, they might appreciate this film more than they did the 2016. Uh, and that's, you know, the, a nice segue into kind of our, our second topic point. Cause there's not much outside of, I mean, we could talk all day about why, why it's so important to us or the legacy that it has on there. But 2016 reboot with, with the all female cast, um, I will say that the all female cast was not the issue necessarily with that film. It is the fact that it disregards that legacy. Uh, the fact that instead of it being what this film ends up being a passing on of the torch it wanted to be its 
owned Ghostbusters 1984. It, it didn't want to acknowledge what came before it. It didn't want to respect. Now, yes, they had the the old cast members show up for cameos. Uh, they did have a little Harold Ramis th- uh, statue uh, at the beginning because it was done shortly after he passed away. But ultimately, it's very disrespectful to those original films and to the cast and to the history of Ghostbusters. I just recently rewatched it uh, this week. I just kind of hadn't really seen it since it came out. Um, It may have been my third time I've seen the film. It doesn't age well. Uh, I mean, yes, it has cool effects, but the problem I had with it is it was all CGI. It wasn't much. I don't think any practical effects were really used in it. Uh, The storyline isn't terrible with 2016. Uh, it's it's unique in its own way, but the fact that it did ignore Bankman, Stance, Zedmore, and Egon Spangler, the fact that none of them were even remotely tied to this universe, they had a whole separate universe, uh, is what us legacy Ghostbuster fans really have against it. It's yeah. not that the acting was horrible. That I laughed at the jokes. I thought that... Uh, Kate McKinnon and and Kristen Wiig and uh, 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 McCarthy, uh, they they were fine. Yeah. Uh, Leslie Jones, she was fine. It was funny. It had funny moments. But when you see Bill Murray show up and he's a doctor that's like, I don't believe in ghosts or anything like that. He's not even Peter Venkman. That's where I had the issue. And it's not that I I. I can enjoy the film as a separate story. Yeah. It's it's fine like that. I, I can watch it. But I I have a different scope. I'm looking at it as I wanted it to be something that continued. Like you didn't have to have them in like a whole lot of the movie to have uh, Janine and all them in it. You could have just been just a, a, a small cameo uh, passing them by or hey we we're having trouble getting this ghost. What can you tell us about it? Some background information. And that's where I feel it would have been more successful. And the fact that I'm not trying to get political with it at all, but just seeing this past week, the fact that rotten tomatoes, the critic score for uh, ghostbusters afterlife continued to track downwards uh, to go below the female 2016 I just I felt that the critics themselves were making it political, and it's that's not what us Ghostbuster legacy fans really. That's not why we're trashing it. We weren't trying to make it political at all. Uh, a female Ghostbusters would be great, and that's the thing that I don't understand with them trashing this one right now, critic wise. Mm-hmm. Audience score is great for this new one now. Uh, tremendous. It's almost perfect. Almost perfect. I mean, it's at ninety six percent the last I saw. The thing I felt was the problem uh, is that you're trashing this one, but the main character is a female. Phoebe is the granddaughter of Egon. Right. And that the fact that it focuses on a female for this, it, it I, I didn't even look at it that way. But if you want, if the critics want to make it political, you, you got to look at it both ways. If you would have involved the original cast as they were and not made them a taxi driver, a funeral director, uh, and a hotel, uh, 
um, manager, he would have had a much better 2016 Ghostbusters. Well, what what I find very very interesting is um, when when 2016 was originally announced and they said it was going to be set in its own world, um, that never set well with me. And and I own the movie, so if anyone wants to you know harp on me or anything for for either trashing this movie or or saying it's not good because of of these reasons, I own it. So I mean, why it, I, I've I haven't rewatched it in a while, but I have rewatched it a couple times, and there are points where I really enjoy it. I think Kate McKinnon is actually uh, the shining light in the film, and I mean I I really enjoy her her character because her, she's basically like Egon in that film. But um, when they when they announced that it was going to be in its own universe uh, and no connection, no ties, I was like, well, why don't you just do it where the ghosts have gone quiet for a while and then there's a resurgence and they're the ones that are there involved with it. And then they have to reach out. They do investigation, find the old Ghostbusters and and uh, collaborate together, pass on the torch, and they, they carry on the mantle moving forward, which is essentially kind of what happens with this film. Uh, you know, is, is that, that's all what it is. It's about that legacy. It's respecting that legacy and then moving that legacy forward. Uh, I told Pat, since he couldn't be on here, I would bring up a few of his points, and that was a conversation we were having, was that um, when, you, when you're doing a reboot uh, of a franchise, you've got to walk this fine line of respecting what came before, but also trying to do something new. And what happens when most reboots fail, it's because of that. It's where they do not respect the legacy, where you can go and watch Star Wars Force Awakens and go, okay, it's it's fine, because it's respecting a little bit of the legacy. It ch- makes some changes we don't necessarily agree with as fans, but it's building off of what it what was left off of. It's the other films in that series or in that trilogy that end up hurting the rest of it. Uh, I say that, you know, and this might be a controversial opinion, but the RoboCop reboot, I actually find refreshing and very interesting because at the core, it it respected RoboCop, the original film, but then tried to update the certain uh, the certain things about it to our time. Whereas, you know, the 80s RoboCop film was focused on consumerism and, and mass reporting and stuff like that. And uh, this one was dealing with more of, uh, you know, kind of war for profit and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there's this thing of you're never going to please all of the fans, right? So you need to do some things that will at least appease to a portion of those fans. Those diehard fans, uh, are, which can be very detrimental to any franchise, uh, not just Ghostbusters, you're never going to win them over. But you do have those fans, I, I consider myself one of them, who is willing to accept new things as long as you are not disrespecting what came before. And ultimately, that's where 2016 fails, is it does not respect that legacy. It does not respect the characters. It does not respect the universe. Paul Feig was more uh, worried about making a Paul Feig film than a Ghostbusters film because Paul Feig does really great female-led comedies. Bridesmaids is one of the funniest movies ever. But when you get him involved in this and he's trying to make his own movie... It's disrespectful to Harold Ramis. It's disrespectful to Ivan Reitman. It's disrespectful to everyone who worked on the original project. So, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it's it's nothing political. It's not the fact that it was an all-female cast. It's just it does not respect that history. And I had forgotten that Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman were both producers of the 2016. And I just wonder 
were they able to input enough to say, hey, maybe we should go this way? And I'm, I'm just, I, I don't think we'll ever know, but I'm well, just They may, be, may have been producers in name only. Um, that is true. You know, that, whether they had actual any impact, uh, because right right at the moment that the 2016 was, because that, that was the whole point of 2016, was it was supposed to relaunch the franchise. Uh, they created the Ghost Corps uh, and, and the studio lots, and, and uh, they—I mean—they were—they were going full forward with basically making this the next Star Wars, the next Star Trek, um, the next MCU essentially. Um, and when 2016 came out, and it kind of floundered, it didn't really—it pleased some, but it didn't please the masses, and they had to uh, reevaluate. You know, they immediately were like, "Well, we're not doing a sequel." Uh, it lost money. Uh, so I, and that's where it kind of ties into what you were talking about with the Rotten Tomato sides of things that the people who love 2016 or who prefer 2016 now feel like they have nothing to do but attack this movie because of the fact that what they liked about 2016 was being completely disregarded. But as far as I'm concerned, 2016 did not have an established history, did not have an established base, uh, didn't have that long-running history that uh, the original films had to justify that type of uh, that type of reaction. But uh, unless you have anything else to talk about in 2016, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and move on into the casting aspect. Well, I honestly, the first time I watched it, I didn't recognize that the Chinese restaurant was called Zool. Oh, I didn't know. Um, I I just found out watching some other guy who's a big Ghostbusters fan. He's a couple of years older than me. I watched a lot of his stuff coming up to this, and uh, and I watched his 2016 trailer review or movie review of it, and it was it was like you you go from the firehouse to a Chinese restaurant. Like that was that left a bad taste in his mouth. Right. That, not that's his opinion. Uh, the I forgot about the end credit scene. Yeah. Where they set up Gozer. Uh, they set up Gozer. And it's like looking back at it now, like if this would have been successful, that would have been awesome to see them have to deal with Gozer because it's like this whole time you ignore the legacy. Right. And then you hear, have you ever heard of Gozer? And it's like, if you would have kept the background, that would have worked and you would have had a sequel in 2018, 2019 for this right. one. Right. Absolutely. And then the only other thing I have to add is I found out on some other article or something through, uh, I think it was Ghostbusters News, um, that Jason was starting this at the same time. Oh, like, that's, that is, uh, that's news to me. I did not know that. He, that in 2016, they had the Paul Feig. Uh, produce like obviously the movie was coming out right but in 2016 him and i guess it was gill is the guy's first name the, the other writer they were starting to write it at that point and the really cool thing um this has kind of gone from the 2016 into this is that jason didn't realize um the ghostbusters movie he wanted to make until harold passed away and he had a dream of a girl in a cornfield uh, shooting a proton pack and um, and then a kid uh, 
uh, going free riding in Ecto One. And when Harold passed away, he said, these are Spangler's grandkids. And I mean, that's where I feel like that this movie, this is why this movie was successful is that it's connected. Yeah. I, I, what, what astounds me um, a little bit, and then we'll get into the casting is the fact that this has blown box office uh, projections for the film for some, mm-hmm. for some reason whatsoever. Cause you tell me you're, you're doing a legacy uh, connected Ghostbusters film. And as beloved as the franchise is, if you're not expecting that to make money, uh, I I don't know where you're coming from. So that, that whole concept that they are blown away, that the fact that I think, I think the number I saw was like 40 million for opening weekend, um, which is still small in comparison with, you know, normal big blockbuster opening weekends, but with COVID and everything, uh, you know, it it is to be expected, but uh, yeah, it just kind of astounds me that they, that they projected it to not do well. And I think a lot of that projection came from the, uh, the rotten tomatoes perceptions. But I think if you have true, well, not true, because I don't like to really use that phrase. But I think if you have Ghostbuster fans, they're, and, and especially fans of the original films, they're going out to go see it. And again, it kind of comes down to that thing where there are more fans of the original films than there are of 2016. So, yeah. Um, all and, right, let's. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I think this was the perfect week to release it with uh, Harold Ramis's uh, birthday. Well, it wasn't for, for that reason. I, I, I forgotten what his birthday was until I saw it today. Um, but the fact that we have Thanksgiving coming up next week. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were kind of going low for this weekend and say, going with word of mouth is what I, I had heard on some other show that people are going to go have Thanksgiving with their families and they're going to ask their cousins. They're going to ask their brothers or sisters after not seeing them for for a while uh did you go see the ghostbusters film if you haven't seen it you got to go see it and right. maybe that they're we're expecting a bigger second week than than this weekend yeah, it could be could very well be i'm sure it'll it will do well uh with with the thanksgiving week here uh upon us um so okay let's go into um the casting so you know we we've got paul rudd we've got carrie coon um we have uh mckenna grace finn wolfhard um, kind of a filling out our, our main characters pretty much. Um, you know, uh, it, the only thing that kind of upsets me with Paul Rudd's casting in this was, um, I, I kind of wanted him to have that connection to the Ghostbusters being, you know, maybe, which he kind of does in the film. I mean, he is a fanboy of the Ghostbusters, uh, very much so. Uh, but just kind of being the 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 summer uh, summer school teacher, just uh, it, it didn't sit necessarily well with me. But it wasn't bad. Uh, I just wish that there had been more. Which you know, moving forward with the franchise, if he if remains involved in it, I'm sure they will expand on his role. Uh, I thought Carrie Coon was fantastic as as the mom, uh, but McKenna Grace is really kind of even outshines Finn Wolfhard uh, of Stranger Things fame. Um, McKenna do, is is Phoebe and. You know, does has the perfect hair uh, styling for this, the the perfect look of being a Spangler. Um, and I remember seeing McKenna in, um, I believe the first thing I ever saw her in was in the um, Girl Meets World, uh, Boy Boy Meets World sequel series. 
as a as as a kid in that um or i know she did show up also in the in the fuller house um series as well but ever since i saw her kind of show up i i i had a feeling she was going to be a fairly decent or a fairly big star and she has been taking killer role after killer role uh you know uh house on haunted hill or not not house, haunting of hill house i keep getting that one mixed up uh with, with captain marvel um uh, numerous numerous roles where she does really actual like real acting and uh so when when she was cast for this role and with how they they styled her for this role i knew we were going to get a great performance out of her and i'm really really interested to see where one where her career goes moving forward and also what will happen if this uh, actually becomes more of a franchise if they if they build out more sequels to it uh finn wolfhard is is great uh, but again, this kind of becomes a, a thing that we'll talk about in the story, uh, story part of this. Cause Pat and I were, we're talking about this as well. Um, he's just in the movie, you know, much, much like kind of Paul Rudd is a little bit. They're just there. A lot of the ancillary characters are just there. Uh, it really is about Phoebe, um, which can be a, uh, a detriment to, the overall um, pacing or development of the film. Um, but, you know, I think that this has a great cast. It, it, they all really uh, play off well of each other. Uh, the kid that plays podcast, I, I really, really liked uh, in it. And, uh, yeah, it just, I think that they 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 hit on all, uh, on all cylinders with who they picked for this film. Um, so... You know, I, I don't know if you have any divergent thoughts or, or uh, thoughts on that aspect as well. Well, I really felt that uh, that McKenna was perfect for the role. Um, what I, one of the things I really noticed from her in the movie, uh, seeing it last night for the first time, was uh, I felt like she bounced off of some of uh, Ian Armitage's uh, young Sheldon. Like I, yeah, I just, a little bit, yeah. Really smart, really smart young kid. And I was just like, I feel like she took some of what she learned from him in being in Young Sheldon. That's right. She was also uh, in Young Sheldon. Uh, that I felt like I, I felt like I could almost picture like she was like a, almost a Young Sheldon Cooper yeah. in this role. Uh, she was perfect casted for, for uh, Phoebe. Uh, Finn, like you said, his role's there. I mean, he fix, I mean, he fixes the car. Uh, to get it ready, uh, but I didn't feel like they adapted him well for this. Like, he yeah, didn't there's, there's like no development a, for his character felt, at all. Yeah, I felt like they were like, "Hey, we're going to take this Stranger Things actor because we know he's big. We're going to throw him in here, and it's going to be great." Um, Logan Kim as podcast. Oh my god, for a kid that this is his first role ever in anything, he's a natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that, I mean, he just, he was perfect. He he felt to me like the little young Ray Stance for this film. Yes. Like, I just, he fit that role. And it's not just because of the goggles, but uh, he just, it, I, I kind of looked at each of the characters of who they reminded me of. Um, uh, Phoebe obviously reminds me of Egon. Uh, uh, Finn Wolfhard. Trevor, I guess, kind of. He would be vain. Like a Vankman. Like a Vankman to me. 
And then Lucky and then Lucky is Winston, basically. Lucky as as the Winston. Um, I heard someone say Lucky was more like uh, Venkman, and I didn't see that, but uh, from what I saw last night. But the the casting I felt was great for the new characters that we were going to see in in the focus uh, of the story. I felt they were all well done. Uh, Carrie Coon, I didn't realize was in Avengers. Yep, obviously, she was, she of was all the, the make- voice of uh, Proxima Midnight. Yeah, I just what did not know that she was in that. Um, uh, Paul Rudd just brings that comedy that <clears throat> still fits the like legacy kind of yeah. comedy. Um, yeah, he he's uh, kind of the you know well in, in more ways than one he's he's the Tully of of this movie. You know, he's the Rick Moranis. Yes, and I I like that they kind of combined. He's I, I I don't know who else I would combine him with. He he wasn't all totally because he's he's not as i guess nerdy in a way oh i mean he wait, is wait a minute you you don't think he's nerdy he's a size seismologist i mean i i don't normally see paul rudd as being someone that is a just a nerdy kind of guy yeah I, I i looked at his comedy as being almost like a bankman yeah but with the but with the goofiness of totally like right. i felt like not to spoil anything, but just that they took those two kind of characters and merged them into Gary Gruberson. Yeah. Well, and obviously, uh, you know, uh, the, the mom is pretty much Dana, you know, like you, you really, yeah. they did kind of keep those archetypes for, um, for each of the, the main characters in this film that they all kind of fulfill those roles from, from the first film. Um, except that you don't have uh, any Walter Peck uh, really in this in this movie, ex- except maybe Bokeem Woodbine, um, which it, it bothers me a little bit when when you look at the billing at the credits. Um, Carrie Coon obviously gets top billing. I have no issue with that. But Bokeem Woodbine, and I I like Bokeem. I, I think he's a, a really good actor. I was actually really surprised to see him in the film. But he got second billing, and he's only in one scene. You know, there, there's yeah. there's only that one scene at the police station, and I'm like, all right. Like, I get Paul Rudd, uh, you know, kind of wanting to be kind of at the end because Paul Rudd is is not someone who strikes me that he wants top billing all the time. Um, you know, I, I would have thought maybe even McKenna would have gotten second billing, uh, you know, next to Carrie Coon or, or even, uh, you know, Finn Wolfhard. Uh, but Bakeem getting that second billing just seemed really weird and made, makes me wonder a little bit if um, if there were more scenes that uh, he were, he was in that we just didn't get to see in, in, in the actual cut of the film. And I, and I do have a feeling that there is probably a uh, director's cut uh, that will come out with this, uh, especially because you mentioned you mentioned the popcorn uh, uh, dream thing, and there is the moment after after she discovers the proton pack in the uh, secret room that uh, she's watching the commercials on YouTube eating a bowl of popcorn. And it makes me wonder, was there a scene in between those two scenes of her, you know, launching it, you know, because obviously they, they do the test case a little bit later. Um, but if she made some of that popcorn, cause even, even, uh, the mom is like, Oh, you found popcorn. So it was, it was like, felt like there was a missing scene there. Um, I may have not have noticed that if you hadn't before seeing the movie, um, we talked about it. You had mentioned, uh, Jason's, uh, dream that, that ended up becoming this film. Um, 
so yeah, I think uh, I think I agree with you. Like the casting is is really strong with this film. They each fill those roles really well. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and kind of move on to now the technical aspects of the film, which not not much to talk about on there. It's very competently shot, fantastic soundtrack. Um, the ghosts are very well done, even though they are CGI. Um, but I think the thing that is outstanding the most are the terror dogs being practical um, or at least the, for the most part uh, specifically the Walmart scene. Uh, any, any thoughts from you? I thought it was tremendous. The fact that you uh, start the, the movie with, with practical effects, with um, the, the dry ice kind of smoke mm-hmm. coming in to, uh, to the room. The fact that, uh, the terror dogs were puppets. I mean, the fact that you hear Finn, uh, Finn Wolfhard in interviews go, yeah, it was really neat to see the practical effects and and to see the the terror dogs in their in their form. I think it really helps the story when you actually have those physical things there because you know what you're looking at. Obviously, it takes a good actor to deal with CGI and kind of of imagine what you're looking at right but knowing that hey i'm looking at a terror dog this thing looks terrifying to me too the fact that it was believable when when uh uh, paul rudd is being chased by this thing in in the store uh, i just thought it was uh well done with that um the ghosts that were were cgi i mean seeing bug eye was kind of cool just to bring it back to the cartoon like they, they they at least brought that into it, and they and they rebought um, the uh, the taxi driver as well. Yes, yeah, um, you know, being in the the diner that was really cool. So like, and, and even a uh, Munch Munch looks uh, uh, pretty good too for for being kind of a, a newer ghost. Although I think I, I think I do have a, a little version of him that came with my Ecto One Transformer. Um, there was one other aspect I wanted to go back to the terror dog on. Um, you, you kind of overlooked it in my, in my opinion, but, uh, cause you were talking about how good it is that when you've seen them chasing the, in the, in Walmart and everything, but the drool when it's eating out of yeah. the dog food bag and the drool is just it, cause it's actual drool that they made. It's not CGI liquid or anything like that. And that's what kind of helps convey the terror of Gary in, in Walmart is that, you know, yeah, the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men were cute and everything and CGI'd fine, uh, but when he comes across the terror dog and it's a practical effect and the actual drool that's dripping from its muzzle and everything before it launches into it and into its run after him, and even then when it's sitting on his car, um, it, it just, it takes it to the next level. And I think that that was also... Again, when we talk about respecting the legacy, respecting the history, I remember uh, when they were talking about maybe doing a third Ghostbusters film uh, when Harold was still alive. That was one thing Harold Ramis was largely against was the over CGI of effects. Now, some things like obviously the proton packs, they're going to have to be CGI. Some aspects of the ghost are going to have to be a little bit computer generated graphics. But with what they did with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in the first film and and stuff moving forward, because obviously in the 80s, technology was not nearly as good as it is today. Um, you know, they had to work with what they had. And I think that that was something that, 
you know, Jason was trying to respect in this film. Yes, and I feel like that's what was lacking in 2016. Absolutely. The practical effects. Yeah. And the fact that this looks like it was there, uh, and they did a really good job. They, they actually studied um, the running of the bulls in Spain um, to kind of get an idea of what the terror dog would look like if it was chasing you and uh, really get it down. Because obviously there was only so much technology almost 40 years ago when the original was made. Uh, so you can really see, like, they did it as much as they could in the time frame they had in 84. Um, but to see it now with all the technology you have, to take a practical effect and make it be able to move like that, it was so believable. And, I mean, it had a comedy sense to it. I mean, I kind of laughed a little bit when he's being chased by it. I know what's going to happen. Right. Uh, but uh, the the part that really cracked me up is when it, got to his car and is on top of his car and he pops the tires yeah because of yeah. his weight i mean i got a crack out of that i mean it's just a small little scene but it was just it was funny and it brought back that kind of little humor that 84 had yeah um now one little little knock i'm going to give on the technical aspect is a little bit on the sound and it's in one particular scene and that is when um when uh, Gary and, and the mom uh, reunite kind of out by the mountain and they're talking and obviously um, not going into spoilers, but uh, you, you, if you know what I'm referencing, uh, I had a really hard time understanding what was being said. Um, I kind of had gotten his lines just fine, but her response was very garbled for me. Uh, I think they overmodulated it and uh, just didn't realize that they had, done it just a little bit too much uh, and, and and maybe it was just that i wasn't hearing it clearly enough i would be real curious to see if ivan did her voice for that like he did for dana yeah in the original i'd be real curious to see on a special feature when this is released on video if uh he reprised that that voicing because i'd be it, surprised <clears throat> initially when when uh when that happens uh to her i i was like when I first heard her talk that way, I was like, kind of sounds like Ivan, like his, what he did. Cause he obviously voiced not only, um, Zool, but he also voiced Slimer. Okay. Or, I mean, or the, whatever they, I can't remember what they called him in the original. Uh, it wasn't Slimer at that point. They didn't have a name for him. Um, <clears throat> but it, it was just, I'm just real curious to see once it's on special features are out and more behind the scenes stuff. If, if he helped do that again. Yeah. So that's, that's about the, about the only knock uh, I got to give it on any technical side of things. Cause everything else is very competently done. I think that they just could have cleaned that audio up just a little, a little bit more. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and kind of talk about the story. Non-spoilers. Um, so, and I know that this was, this was Pat's primary uh, negative about, about the film and it's not even a, a, a really big negative, but Again, it kind of comes down to, in this film, only one character matters, and that's Phoebe. Uh, there's no development for any of the other characters. They're just kind of there as um, just background uh, dressing, in a sense, um, for things to go from point A to point B to point C. Uh, this is this is Phoebe's story, and she's the character who gets the most screen time. And, and again, not saying that this is wrong, 
but the one who actually has character development that goes through a full arc in the film uh, where she is different than when we get introduced to her in uh, in the beginning. And uh, I, I kind of agree with that um, to some extent. But again, uh, as I as I had said to him was that, uh, you know, if they were to try to give ample development to Trevor and to the mom and to Gary and to podcast and, and to Lucky, that uh, you'd have a two and a half hour film. And no matter how big of a Ghostbusters fan you are, you don't really want to go to a two and a half hour Ghostbusters film. I, I think that this was fine at two hours. Uh, I think it, it, its pacing is fine throughout the film. Uh, but there are certain aspects of the story uh, of character moments, um, primarily, again, going back to the summer school thing. Well, it's fun. If Phoebe is as intelligent as she is, why is she in summer school? You know, it, it's it's more of just a means to an end to introduce her to Gary, to introduce her to podcast, uh, to to kind of get her interact more because this is happening during the summer. Trevor is working, trying to work a summer job. Uh, you know, so it, it's like, it's this one thing where it was like, we weren't given an ample reason why she was in summer school. But again, if you're going to try to throw all of these things in there, uh, you're going to add to your runtime. You're going to end up, you know, making people a little bit bored in a Ghostbusters film. You're going to slow down the pacing. You're going to slow down a lot of the development. And I think that this does have a minor pacing problem at the beginning, not the very beginning, because the very beginning is, is very well done, but it's the introduction to the family. And I, I think that this ultimately is where it fails a little bit in the, in the actual storyline, uh, is explaining Egon having a daughter. Um, and specifically, because I, I will say, um, you probably didn't notice this, Pat didn't notice this, I don't even know why I noticed this. So Ghostbusters happens in 1984. When she's in the room and she's seeing stuff on the wall, there's a line on a post-it note that says, in 1983, she got my... And so it's it's when you're trying to fit it within the timeline of the events in this universe, uh, that means he had a daughter during Ghostbusters. And so I, I, it just doesn't feel really well developed or actualized on on the family side of things. Well, I know that having to be a, a guest on this podcast, I was going to really focus on a lot of detail in this movie. I mean, I I listened to Jason Reitman saying that even the people working on the film threw in Easter eggs that he had no idea about. Okay. Like they just threw them in there. Um, but to get back on the point, I did see the sticky or not the sticky note, but it was an index card. Mm-hmm. It said 1983, uh, something about she'll need braces or whatever. It does make it look, you, you make you look at Egon in a completely different way. It looks like he had a family before the movie. Right. And already had a divorce. Uh, like, I'd say that's again, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if divorced or not, you know, it, it there's, that's, yeah. that's like that, that's where it fails for me a little bit. But I also see it as Egon's a quiet guy. I mm. mean, he very smart, but very kept to himself. Right. At the same point. And you really see that with his background that you see in the events that lead up to this, 
how he isolated himself. And um, I, I, I had no ill will against it. I thought, okay, so he had a kid. There's no mention, obviously, in 84 that he had a kid. But it doesn't really bother me because I felt like this really ties it. And as, as you were saying with character development, that really that the focus is on Phoebe, I will agree with that. However, I do see character development in the mom with this film yeah, because of yeah. that scene. Because there's, of that there's, scene. Because... there's minor minor development, not nearly to the extent yeah. that Phoebe gets. But yeah, there there not is in, there's yeah, some things that are death. addressed that she has reasons for why she never told them that who their grandfather was, uh, why she kept that stuff secret, why she kind of has this. Uh, um, negative impression of him at the beginning of the film. And yeah, she does kind of go through her own little arc. It's just very, very minor uh, compared to Phoebe. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's not as in depth, but I did like the fact that um, she did have a development there because it really showed that, yeah, he wasn't visible to her, but thinking of her, he had, pictures which means whoever her mom is which i mean you obviously don't know who her mom is even, right even after seeing the film uh of how did if he was separated how did he get the photos right like i mean did was it something that she sent cards to him and he he had pictures of her doing track and all this other stuff uh in the pictures uh, i just it was really cool with where that is takes place that part takes place is because it felt like it was the second floor of the firehouse is in this basement or bunker right that he's created and it was really cool because i mean it looked literally all the equipment and then everything that you saw in the 84 is sitting down there the screensavers are still the same i mean it's it's really cool yeah you even have the uh the crunch bar um in his pocket and uh also, the Twinkie honest, in the uh, in the glove compartment. I honestly forgot about the Nestle Crunch Bar until I watched uh, an Easter egg video this morning, and uh, that he was handed one by Venkman there at the beginning. I completely had forgotten about him. Like, oh, he's got a Nestle Crunch Bar. Okay, I mean, he liked sweets. Obviously, yeah. he I liked Twinkies, um, and uh, and it just was really. Um, it was just neat to see all this stuff that was hidden. Um, not to to go into just straight on Easter egg talk, but on a video I watched with one of the guys from Mythbusters, he actually toured the, the location in the actual house that they built on this area and then rebuilt it on a soundstage. Uh, <clears throat> but in one of the cabinets, they had the toaster from Ghostbusters 2. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it was just like... Good God, they think of everything. And these people that set up the, the the props and everything, I mean, they're, they're thinking of everything. And uh, to go into one of the other things was the um, the Aztec whistle. Mm -hmm. Like, was that explained in one of the Ghostbuster films? No, I, I don't think I felt so. like the only thing I felt like that could have related to was in Ray's Occult Bookstore. Yeah, I probably. thought I saw something similar to it in in the second Ghostbusters film. I'd have to rewatch that one again. I just saw it recently, but I wasn't looking for a whistle. So right. 
it'd be really interesting to see if that's something that was hidden in Ghostbusters 2 and they brought it back as a, as something to use. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I felt the story structure was very well done for this film. Now I do, um, I do have also some kind of like things that obviously I can overlook. Uh, so I'm not going to criticize it too hard, but like, cause they even, they even kind of mention it a little bit is like the Sumerian, um, you know, temple being in the middle of what Oklahoma or wherever they're at. Um, that doesn't make sense, but I'm willing to overlook it. Um, just for the fact that we, we get the film and the film is very enjoyable. Uh, so it's not something to like over, over nitpick. Um, you know, I like, because immediately you get the, you know, at the very beginning of the film when the truck's coming from the mine, Shandor mine. So, like, if you're not paying attention or don't know your Ghostbusters lore, like, that first thing that stuck out to me. Uh, also, when they mentioned mining the selenium. Um, so, like, I like a lot of the ties. I, I don't know, without going into spoilers, I don't know if I like that we revisited this particular thing for this, but I... I see it as okay. I guess that's fine because it's a it's an end cap to the first film in in, in reality, uh, and it gives a lot of reason for certain things to happen the way they happen. Um, and it's like I, I can I can overlook some of that stuff uh, to to because of my overall enjoyment of the film. Um, I'm just trying to think. Oh, one other complaint that Pat had that I can agree with a, a little bit as well, and I would have done it a little bit differently is uh, I would have thrown some more ghosts in there um, to to the extent of, you know, maybe have a little bit of the first uh, first half of the film. They accidentally release some ghosts somehow. And then because um, ultimately you would still get the film to play out the same way. They capture they managed to capture the, those ghosts. But in the event, everything else still kind of happens. And uh, then you have what kind of becomes the climax of the film. And I, I kind of agree to that because like when you go back to the first Ghostbusters film, a lot of the enjoyment is the montage scene where they're going and busting a lot of ghosts and getting their popularity and stuff. Um, and in reality, this film only has about three ghosts. Um, and it, it just, it even has a moment where you kind of expect more, uh, but you just get those like little brief glimpses and then it goes on into its finale. So uh, I, I agreed to an extent that that could have been done a little bit differently. But again, at the same time, this film is all about Phoebe and Phoebe finding her place and where she comes from and inheriting the Spangler legacy. And I really enjoy that aspect of the film. And I, I'm, I'm very excited if uh, they, they go forward with sequels, which I can't imagine they wouldn't, uh, but where they're going to take this uh, going forward. I would even like... Uh, you know, and this isn't a spoiler or anything, but I would very much like to see Oscar show up in a sequel. Um, you know, I, there there are just things I would like to see a little bit more of. And um, before we go into the our kind of overall and closing thoughts, I, I w- there's the one thing that I'm not going to hold against the film because I understand everything involved with it and going around with it. But I wish we would have gotten more than what we got a little bit. Um, and to give you an idea, cause you've seen the film w- with, with the end uh, in the field or a- at the house. 
um, because it's very brief. It's it's fun, it's enjoyable, but it's brief. Um, but again, considering everyone involved in certain factors, I don't know what I would what would have been like my yes, that's what I wanted exactly. Um, so I, I'll take what I got because uh, it's still very enjoyable and it still leaves open for for future things that may or may not come. So um, what what uh, what else do you guys say about the story? Well, like I just listened to you talking about how like it was kind of hard to, I guess, have Gozer again and kind of that same story, but like being an end cap, uh, I'll agree it was an end cap. Uh, but I enjoyed it because, I mean, if you review back on 84, all they did was close the portal. Right. It wasn't like they defeated Gozer, like Gozer's never going to be back. As I say, feel the same way uh, if they ever bring Vigo back. I don't think they destroyed Vigo. I feel like he just, that presence of him is... Well, all they, all they did in the first film was just destroy the Destroyer. It wasn't necessarily, yes. wasn't necessarily Gozer. Yes, and so having Gozer back for this one didn't bother me at all. I felt that Olivia Wilde... uh, That was Olivia Wilde? Wow. Okay, I didn't know that. So um, she looked amazing as Gozer. Obviously, the suit looked different Mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, but was very well done. Um, I know some that I've listened to that didn't like the way it looked, but I, I felt it was good. Um, and not to really give away anything, the only part that I had trouble with in that scene um, was the joke. I mean, I felt like it was trying too much there to mm-hmm. be like a little, obviously she's 12 years old, trying to <clears throat> fight the spirit and everything. But uh, I honestly think if I was 12 years old in that scene, I probably would have done the same thing. Well, and, so that's and where it didn't really bother me. It, it didn't actually bother me that much because, uh, you know, it was like that's that's a whole running gimmick through the film is her trying to tell jokes. Uh, you know, if, even like the geometry joke where even Paul Rudd's like, oh, it's terrible. I love it. <laughs> you know, type of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's. And, uh, and McKenna brought a lot of that to Jason. Let her bring those jokes on on for this film. I mean, it was her jokes that she like read up on and. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I got some jokes, and Jason's like, have at it. And I, I like that because it, it's not like, hey, I'm the director. I'm going to tell you what to say. Well, it's, it's very like, much um, that freedom. Well, it's very much uh, if that if that's kind of the mentality he had going forward with it. Uh, um, it's it's a lot of what makes the the first film so enjoyable is because a lot of a lot of the dialogue is improvised. It is lines that were not written. That it was just that they came up with on the spot. Um, like, uh, when they, when they said, um, you know, oh, I stopped that, it stopped you that time from drilling a hole in your head or something like that. And he, and Egon goes, oh, and it would have worked too, if you hadn't stopped me like that, that was a totally improvised line from Harold Ramis. Uh, so when you have, again, that kind of goes back to the respecting thing is like, Ivan, Ivan knew he was working with, and obviously had worked with a talented group of comedic actors. And so when you just let the camera roll 
and you let them do what they want to do, you're going to get golden moments like that. So that I, that's a very very good sign from Jason uh, that he took that kind of uh, that kind of bit from his father to to allow the actors to try try and grow. I'll say a film that did it completely bad that that kind of overindulged on that was uh, This Is the End because that was the whole point with that film is they they just um, improvised a lot of the dialogue for that film and i think that that's where uh, that was a film that needed a little bit more like direction and and how they were presenting it because it it just it was it just didn't work um so all right let's uh let's go ahead and move into our overall uh and closing thoughts so overall it's a it's very enjoyable film uh, I think you and I both have read up that the major criticism is uh, it's too much fan service, and I will say it's enough fan service. It is exactly what it needs to do to draw in legacy fans and to draw in new fans. Um, if you don't let 2016 color your impression uh, just because it was not well-received or because of whatever you want to have it the, as the reason why that film failed, don't take it out on this film. You can watch both and enjoy both. You can dislike one and you can like the other. You know, I'm, I, it's, that's the main problem with film criticism nowadays. And that's the thing we try to do with this podcast is, is you're allowed to like things that are bad and you're allowed to not like things that are good. Uh, like House of Gucci, that's going to be a film that's probably going to be an Oscar contender. It's probably going to be a very good film. Ridley Scott, good cast. I won't watch the movie because I have no desire to watch the movie. And even if I were to watch the movie, I probably wouldn't really enjoy it because it's subject matter. I don't care about, I like the actors that are in it. I think Jared Leto is, is kind of trying to become the next, um, Daniel day Lewis. Uh, but ultimately there's nothing that really interests me about it. So I'm not going to, to say that someone's wrong if they go and see that film and really enjoy it because that's their, that's their very right to, uh, I think when you start trying to put your personal opinions on others uh, and how they should feel about a certain film is is a wrong thing to do because everyone's got their own interpretations. Everyone's got their own baggage that they bring um, to a film, their own personal biases and everything. And I can go back and I can rewatch 2016 and go, yeah, I can enjoy certain things about it. I think Kate, McKenna's, uh, Kate McKinnon's really good in it. I think Leslie uh, Jones is really good in it. But uh, ultimately, story kind of fails. The effects fail. The lack of respect fails. Um, But I can enjoy the fact that it is its own universe. I can enjoy it for being what it is in that universe. This film is what it needs to be uh, to kind of move the legacy forwards. Very much like Halloween 2018. Um although I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of uh, Halloween Kills, um, that does the same thing, where it's ignoring kind of some of those old legacy things, but still being respectful enough to the original Halloween film to try to move the story forwards and in a new direction while respecting what came before. And that's what I really feel like this film does. And I got to give it a lot of respect. It does have faults. It's not a perfect film, but it's very enjoyable and uh, it's something that, like you said, you were able to take my nephew to it. You guys now have, you have continued that legacy on with your own son. And that's something that he might be able to do with his son at some point. 
if this continues to move on and become uh, you know, a lasting franchise. So this is a very good entry, a very good start. I look forward to potential sequels uh, and things that might move this even further into a long-lasting legacy. So any, uh, and I'll give my score at the kind of end of this, but uh, what 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 closing thoughts do you have? I I thought it was tremendous. I mean, it has everything. It has it has comedy. It has horror. It's got a. It, I mean, it's a thriller in in some sense. Uh, I mean, it's got everything that you would want in a film like this. It's got action. I mean, seeing the Ecto One actually in action and not just be driving to a scene was was tremendous and seeing mm-hmm. them uh, handle that. Um, I liked, uh, obviously, uh, people know, know if they look at who's in this movie that you're going to see the original uh, Ghostbusters, the, the three living original Ghostbusters in this film. And I just thought, as soon as I heard Venkman, I mean, like, I wasn't shaking for, for that moment, but I was, I was just like, here's my childhood again. Mm. And I think that's where I've been so heavily invested in, in this franchise that 2016 didn't do it for me, but this did. And it's one of the best movie going experiences I ever had, uh, was last night. I mean, it had everything. It had emotion. I mean, the, the, the first five minutes of this film, boom, you're in. I, I was invested. I was like, this is perfect. This is the way you structured this movie to start is great. Yes, did it have moments where I'm kind of like, okay, when, when are we going to start busting ghosts? I mean, like, I kind of got to that point a little bit. I think once um, you obviously have uh, Trevor and and, and uh, Lucky up on the uh, swing kind of thing over the uh, mining shaft. Um, that's where it, it obviously kicks in the gear and we're finally going to get more of that. Um, but there was so much heart in this film and I can see why Ivan Reitman teared up when he got the first showing from Jason. And you could see that this was a love story, not only for Ghostbusters, but Jason grew up around these guys. Right. He grew up on the set on the first film. He, it was in the second film. Um, I, I love. I keep love seeing his little scene where he goes. My dad says you're full of crap. Oh, that's that. Like, that's Jason. I was trying to remember which, and I was which like, kid it would have been. And I'm like, wow. Like, we fast forward almost 32 years later, and here he is as a filmmaker who's done successful films. I mean, I like Juno. I like Up in the Air. I've liked those films. They're different than his dad's. Right. Very different than his dad's. This felt like his dad. Like I felt like this was an Ivan Reitman film. And it had everything that was needed. And there was always questions asked, are you ever gonna do Ghostbusters? And he was like, No, 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 I can't I can't match what my dad did. I think he matched what his dad did. I honestly felt like I honestly, if I had to rank the the order of the three legacy films, I'm going to consider this legacy right. as well. I honestly had this at number two of the three. I like Ghostbusters too, 
Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like the ooze. I mean, Vigo scared the crap out of me as a kid. Watching his forehead kind of stick out of that painting, and then uh, especially when he's holding Oscar at the end, I still to this day when they start singing outside and his head jerks, I swear he's going to eat the kid's hand off. Um, but like obviously Ghostbusters 84 is always going to be my favorite one because of the, just the <clears throat> raw talent. I mean, and the fact that I'm their age and a little bit older now than what they were when they made this film. Right. Um, it stands the test of time. And I feel this is going to stand the test of time. Because when you see those guys come back, yes, they look older. I mean, the only one that looked really well was was Ernie Hudson. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dan look, looks real old. Bill looks very old. Yeah, compared to what Venkman looked like, I just felt they did it very well. And I was sitting there the whole time, and I'm like, okay, there's one person we haven't seen yet. When are we going to see them? And for those that are going to go see this movie that haven't seen it yet, or you're going to go back and see it, and you didn't stick around, please stick around for the credit scenes. There's there's two of them. There's a mid-credit and an end at the very end. Yeah. Those were were very well done. I love the, the small one and the mid-credit scene. It It's just perfect because of the character you've been waiting the whole movie, and you see their name in the credits, and like, I haven't seen them yet. Oh, trust me, that was that was the general theater reaction too. Although we were in a in a smaller crowd, uh, when that name pops up, you're like, "Wait, what?" And then immediately following that, you get the the first uh, mid credit scene. And you're like, "Oh, okay." And it was perfect. It, yeah. it was just oh, it was absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. I'm not going to say. I, yeah, no, I'm not don't, don't say anything, say anything for about it. it but, but yeah, it's perfect. But uh, and and quite frankly, per- both end credit scenes. Uh, both credit scenes are perfect. They're yes, absolutely they were, perfect. Very much so. I was I, the that end, the last one, and it really sets it up because of what is at the very end. Yeah, I mean the very last second of that. It's like, okay, here we go, and it's kind of what I was expecting. Like even though 2016 didn't go well, when you, I had forgotten about Leslie Jones saying, "Hey, have you heard of Gozer?" Right. But, like, watching that again, I'm like, man, if you were really successful, like, that would have been a cool sequel to have Gozer be a part of it. And, like, I'm looking forward to what this one's going to have, uh, or if they have a sequel, which I think they're going to have a sequel. Yeah, I, mean, I, can't, I, I, can't, imagine, say, I can't imagine it, it wouldn't. I mean, I've heard Dan Aykroyd has an idea already, and it's a it's it's about uh, uh, Bankman, Stance, and, and uh, Spangler. Uh, in like their high school days. And I, I, I'm interested to see that because you do feel like they've been lifelong friends. Right. Um, like it was a gradual thing. They were in college already. They were doctors and working in the same office together. But to kind of go and get more backstory there would be really cool if they can do that one. Um, and then where you're setting up for future ones with these, I mean, I really feel like <clears throat> they've hit a gold mine like they did in 84 with this one yeah yeah i think that's where set it up very well where criticisms i have of character development um i can only hope if they do it if they do a sequel that that's where we'll get more development for for podcast for trevor for uh you know gary even just like because now you've set it up and um 
in a in a very good way that uh, now you can allow. Like I can understand. Like even though only one real character gets the most uh, you know screen time and development in this film, it's understandable. It's absolutely understandable why it's focused on Phoebe and why uh, she's so important in this film. But it does sacrifice some moments for those other characters. But with that ending, it does give at least the opportunity to explore um, things with, with, with those characters and, and give them more screen time, give them more, uh, more character development. Because, yeah, it, 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 just, it, does a, it does a really good job with her uh, at the sacrifice of, of them a little bit. Um, and, you know, I just am excited to see where this goes in the future. Um, so we're going to go ahead and go into scores here. Uh, I honestly, I know you're going to go high. Um, so I'm probably going to go a little bit lower, but it's not, not a, not a bad score by any means. I'm, I'm going to go with a four out of five. Um, just main criticisms being some of the technical aspects, uh, minor on the technical aspect, uh, and again, some of those story elements that could have had a little bit more fine tuning, a little bit more fleshing out, a little more backstory. Um, but with that score, I mean, I could have easily given this a five. I can, I could ignore those criticisms, but that would be doing a disservice to the podcast because um, it could easily just be a five because I could, I can still overlook them and enjoy the film. Um, but that's where I'm going to land on it: four out of five. I, I'm going to joke and I'm going to say it's an eight out of five right. because I just felt like I, I'm going to go five out of five, but it, it, it you're not going to get perfect in any kind of film, Mm-mm. no matter what, you can always no. find something to critique. You're going to find something that didn't work right. Or I could have gone something better. Like it would have been really cool to see the, the mini state puffs mold together and become a giant hundred foot state puff marshmallow. Man. Right. That would have been cool. But it didn't need to be. It did for what they went with. They, it didn't need to be, um, but it's about as damn close to being perfect that you can make ever make a film. And that I I can't believe it exceeded what I expected. Right. I mean, for what they put into this film, it was not. It was what I wanted, and I didn't know I wanted it. Like what they what they throw in there. For those that haven't seen it, go see the film because you have to see what they put in it. It was amazing. Um, uh, I mean, I was shaking in the film, uh, but you have to go see it to see what I'm talking about. Right. You have to go see it. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. So, uh, again, I want to thank Matt for being on here and uh, giving us his uh, the, the extreme fanboy review of, of the episode uh or of oh, the you movie. knew it was going to come <laughs> so you knew it was coming oh, I, I had knew, to do it trust me as i joked on the live stream the other day I, the only thing i'm happy with this film finally being out is i'm not going to be getting daily texts about every little minor detail about ghostbusters afterlife uh so yeah i i, I talked about uh you were you were texting me about uh your theater filling up and uh, uh, this time or 12 hours to go and so on and so forth. Uh, I even, uh, joked with our father and, uh, I third, uh, was it Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday. I said, now if something were to happen and this movie gets pushed off for another three months, 
I'm going to wherever the head of whoever made that decision, and I'm strangling them because I'm not putting up with three more t- three more months of tests. Sixteen months was enough. Sixteen <laughs> so, months was enough. But I, uh, I well, I agree with you though that that the uh, you know doing it now uh, and doing it this close to Thanksgiving was probably a, a better time than anything. Uh, and also, I I do think that the weekend of Harold Ramis's birthday was also a factor that played into it as well. Um, so, uh, as always, uh, if you've seen, seen the movie, uh, leave us a comment below, uh, tell us what you thought about it. Leave, please leave spoilers out of your comments. Uh, you know, we did, I think a fairly decent job of keeping it, f- uh, spoiler free for this one. Uh, and as always, uh, you know, subscribe, share with your friends, uh, follow us on any of the podcasting uh, audio services and uh, not just YouTube. If you're listening audio only, we're on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Google Play, just about wherever you can get your audio podcast. Uh, if you want to write into the podcast and uh, let us know your thoughts rather than leaving a comment, you can write in at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at criticsntcynics and on Facebook at criticsnotcynics podcast. All that stuff will be down in the description below. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.